I want you to think about how the behavior of a system can change. Particularly, I want you to think about how this change can happen very quickly. For example, how does an economy go from boom to bust very suddenly and unpredictably? In other words, it tips from one type of behavior to another. So what are these tipping points? And are they really so unpredictable? Today, you'll hear from Tyler Margettis, Assistant Professor of Cognitive and Information Sciences at the University of California, Merced, where he pulls apart the underlying reasons why a complex system's behavior can radically change. And where he poses the question, can you tell when a system is about to tip? This is Simplifying Complexity, a podcast where we explore the underlying principles of complex systems. Systems that seem to defy our rational view of the world, like economies, ecologies, or even you or me. I'm forensic engineer Sean Brady, and I'll be your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show, and welcome, Tyler, to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. So Tyler, we're going to talk about a key aspect of complex systems thinking, which is tipping points. What's an example of a tipping point? They show up everywhere from our daily transition between sleeping and being awake, where you go from completely disconnected from the world to suddenly engaged, perceiving it perhaps groggy, perhaps in need of coffee, but in a way fundamentally transformed from how you were thinking and being just moments before. So it goes from that mundane example all the way up to cases of economic collapse or sudden switches from a bear market to a bull market, examples of political revolution or political collapse. And it even shows up in biology and things like ecosystems, like lake ecosystems. You can have a lake that goes from beautiful, clear, dominated by fish that are swimming around around to sometimes very suddenly switching to a really murky so-called turbid state where there's all this algae, you can't really see much. And in all those cases, you have one state which seemed pretty stable. You were sleeping for hours and hours, no reason to suspect that that might end. Or you have economic regime that seems pretty stable, things are going well. Or you have this lake system, it looks great, you know, all those nice fish, clear water. And then somewhat suddenly, you get a switch. You get this tumbling transition to something else that you might not want, or maybe you do want, or maybe it's just unexpected. But either way, it seems fundamentally different from what you were seeing before. And those are tipping points or sometimes called critical transitions from one state to another. What do we mean by a state when we're talking about that? So the word state sounds really static, right? It sort of, when I think of a state, I think of something that's not changing. That's not what we mean here. We're talking more about, I like the word dynamical regime, which, you know, sounds sciencey, but all I mean by it is that the system is operating in a reliable, perhaps predictable and recurring way. So in the case of the economy, sure, you're having fluctuations in the stock market, but if it's a stable regime or a stable state, you're going to have similar dynamics over time. So maybe stock prices are gradually increasing pretty much across the board. In the case of sleep, our brains are incredibly active during sleep. We're 
learning, we're sometimes practicing, we're imagining, we're dreaming. That's all happening inside of our brain. So there's lots of change happening, but it's working in more or less the same way over time. And so when you talk about a state or a regime in a system of any sort, in a complex system in particular, it's kind of like a mode of operation where more or less you have the same kind of dynamics happening over time. This is why it's so confusing for us human beings, isn't it? Because we observe that state. It's nice and stable. We can even write equations to describe that state. And then we think it's going to go on like that forever and ever. And then suddenly it doesn't, does it? It tips. The issue here isn't that it screws around what our sort of linear cause and effect view of the world. I mean, everyone always assumes insofar as there is an observer standing by, you assume that this is the only way it's going to be. And with good reason, right? Often you have a history of observation that this seems to be the way things work. So this is especially true if you look at the history of great empires or great social systems. I mean, it's really difficult to imagine that at some point, maybe that people, that language, that culture might not exist at all, that it could be lost entirely to history. As humans, we're really great predictors. That's sort of part of our powers that we're constantly predicting the future. Sometimes we misfire on that and we sort of overpredict. We think that what's happening is going to keep going. And when you get those nonlinear changes, as you said, all of a sudden it really screws with our expectations. I love the example of the ice cube. You know, you get the ice cube at minus five degrees and you add a degree and it goes to minus four and it's still an ice cube. And then you go to minus three and it's still an ice cube. And you go to minus two and it's still an ice cube. And you're just linearly increasing the temperature. But once you hit above zero, you change state, don't you? You go from that ice cube to the puddle of water, which is surprising to us. Not because we understand ice, but in general, that we don't expect that from other systems like the economy. And the trickier thing even is that sometimes you have a change in the regime, a change in the state, but it doesn't show up yet, right? These things take time to show up in a way that we could understand. So think of the ice cube case. You can have the temperature above that critical point where you go from frozen to, so from a solid state to a liquid state. You don't have instantaneous transformation of the entire solid ice cube into a puddle. It happens fairly slowly and gradually, but unbeknownst to you, underlying that in the sort of governing equations of that system, it's already tipped over. It's already in the regime, in the state where, yeah, you're not going to get solid ice anymore. Eventually, everything is going to turn to water. And that's true for societies, too. That's true for climate systems. That's true for individuals. Sometimes we're already tipped over, but we don't even know it yet. It just takes a bit of time for the things that we can actually observe to catch up with the fundamental, almost transformational, radical change that's happened under the hood, so to speak, in the engine that's driving the system. And this is a fundamental concept, isn't it, of complex systems that you're, you know, we know they're nonlinear. We know that they can behave in ways that are very, very hard to predict. And this really holds true, as you say, for a whole range of different systems, but fundamentally they're all the same in the sense that we have groups of interacting adaptive agents doing their thing and you get unusual behavior. If we sort of put into it, why does this happen? What's the underlying process that's happening in the system that is causing these sorts of tips? Yeah, there's different ways of answering that, right? And so one is with a picture. So the classic picture of these kinds of tipping points is the ball in a cup. The idea here is to imagine some sort of flat surface that maybe has two divots in it. And so if you were to drop a ball, say a marble, 
onto that service, it would fall into one of those divots. It would get stuck there. And even if you're sort of shaking the table a bit so the ball is bouncing around, if that divot is deep enough, if you have a deep enough little valley, it'll stay in there. You can imagine that you might come to expect that that's just the way the ball works. It's always going to be in that valley until it goes over the lip into the adjoining divot and all of a sudden it's in a different part of the table, different part of the surface. That's the intuitive image that a lot of complex system scientists use to make sense of these kinds of critical transitions between states, between regimes. So this is the ball in a cup analogy. You can imagine maybe, you know, one of those divots is a bull market and the other is a bear market, or one of those divots is sleeping where the other one is awake. The question then that that raises, of course, is why do these kinds of systems tend to behave as if there are these different basins that can act as attractors on their surface. And you pointed out one reason is that when you have a bunch of different small components all coupled up with each other and interacting, you can get this abrupt response to continuous linear change in some other variable. So whenever you have homogeneous elements that are connected with each other, so you can get a lot of positive feedback between them, you can get incredible resilience so that, you know, in the case of the ice cube, you're changing the temperature a lot as long as it's below zero Celsius, and it's not really changing very much. Similarly, you can think of someone who's standing, right? So I'm standing up and you're pushing me. I'm sort of weaving back and forth. Maybe the wind blows on me. I'm like, totally great. That's a fantastic example of the kind of resilience that complex systems can have. Or the Roman Empire. All these horrible things are happening around it, and it's sort of stuck around for a really long time. But then, all of a sudden, all the little parts that are responsible for a lot of that resilience flip into the other state, and you get this catastrophic collapse. Yeah, what's driving that? Is that positive feedback? What's the key sort of thing that's changing there? One element there is positive feedback. So that's where as you change more, that encourages more change. So you get this runaway transition that happens once you go past a particular critical point. So not all systems show this. You have a lot of complex systems that can degrade quite gracefully. So can you expand on that a little bit more? So one example is humans in conversation. Right, that's a really resilient system. You can increase the background volume and we're really good at adapting to that so that you don't get this like sudden collapse where like conversations fall apart. It's an incredibly resilient system that gets a little bit harder as you get background noise and a little bit harder and a little bit harder, but you don't get this really catastrophic collapse that you sometimes see with like a lake ecosystem, for instance, where it switches really suddenly from that nice clear state to a turbid state. So you do have some systems that are able to respond gracefully to some change in some control parameter or outside noise or perturbations or the system being shaken. But you have other systems that as you have that breakdown or the temperature is changing, or it's getting noisier, or some variable of interest is changing, it looks like the system doesn't care at all. It's business as usual until, boom, it breaks. And we know a bit about which kinds of systems show that kind of catastrophic collapse, and it has to do with the way they're wired up on the inside. 
So if you have a system where it's made up of lots of parts that are the same, so they're homogeneous, and they're all connected with each other, so they're all influencing each other, those can look incredibly resilient. You could push that kind of system around, and it looks like it just does not care what you're doing until you go too far. And what happens is, because they're all the same, all the parts are the same, and they're all interacting with each other, when one flips and another one flips and a third, all of a sudden it's sort of an avalanche and they all get pulled over. You see this a bit with hyper-connected banks. This was the great financial crisis in 2008, is that all these banks were super connected with each other. So when they were doing well, they were all doing well together. It looked fantastic. And no one thought that you could have a global economic crisis on the scale that we saw because we had this history of seeing these banks being incredibly resilient to all the storms of the stock market until they weren't. And then we just had this collapsing domino of banks and we have fallout from that today. So that was, you know, back in 2008, 2009, starting in the US and spreading around the world. That's an example of what happens if you have a really homogeneous system where all the parts are connected to each other. Looks great for a while, but there's always this danger of catastrophic tipping points into, in that case, a system that we really were not happy with. It tips from that stable point, but it eventually comes back to another stable point, which presumably where we are now, that it sort of finds that equilibrium is absolutely the wrong word, but it finds that stability again. It has to go somewhere. And a lot of these systems will have multiple regimes that they can inhabit. So that's called metastability. Right. So it's not completely locked in, but it's in this regime. It's more or less stable. And then with this image of a ball in a cup, you could have a whole bunch of different valleys. You don't know where they are. You don't know where they exist. But if you get knocked out of one, the ball is going to roll down till it finds the bottom of the next valley and it'll stay there. So presumably the economy is in another one of those valleys. And that's going to be true for just about any scale at which you get these kinds of critical transitions. One of my favorite examples on a human scale is religious conversions or political conversions. These cases where people are hyper-invested in a particular set of beliefs, in a particular social community, in a particular set of behaviors, and it looks like it's never going to change. It feels like that from the inside too. And yet you can sometimes get these radical transformations where people go from being far right to far left or vice versa from being a devout Christian to an avowed atheist and vice versa. And so you're right that when a system gets knocked out of one of these really stable states, one of these stable dynamical regimes, it works really hard to find somewhere else where it could stabilize. There's telltale signals, isn't there? And we're going to talk about this in a later episode in a little more detail, but there's a couple of things you can look out for that do give you some warnings, don't you, of some of the systems. So can you talk about critical slowing down? What's that? I guess I'll say a word about resilience first. So what it means for a system to be resilient, which is just the ability of a system to get knocked around. Maybe it gets knocked off course a bit, but if you give it enough time, it returns back to that standard operating state. So you can imagine in the case of a religious conversion, maybe someone has a devout faith, something horrible happens in their life, it really sort of shakes them to their core, they might start having doubts, but given a few months, they sort of return to that stable core of their faith. Or an economy, right? You might have some shock to the economy, maybe a bank 
suddenly goes bankrupt or a war breaks out somewhere. And that leads to ripples through the economic system, but given enough time and it returns back to that stable operating state. So that's an example of a resilient system. And the cool thing is, from a scientific perspective, is you can quantify how resilient a system is. And there's a couple of different ways of doing this. So one, if you can somehow, and we normally can't do this, but imagine you have the view from above, you're sort of all seeing. If you could figure out where that ball is in that table with all the valleys, all that cups, you could, for instance, measure how wide is that basin? A really, really wide basin means that you can knock the system far off course, but it's still going to be inside that valley. Give it enough time, it's going to roll back. Or you could look at how steep the walls are. That means you could really sort of knock it hard, but it's just going to bounce right off that wall and come back. Now, of course, for most systems, we're not able to go from, say, the economy to suddenly know in this like beautiful, perfect, omniscient way where the ball is on the table of valleys. I mean, if I could do that, I would be a trillionaire, truly. Unfortunately, we don't have tools for that yet. So we're left with pretty coarse tools, but they do sometimes work. And one of the tricks that people have settled upon is looking at how long it takes a system, once it's been knocked off course, to return back to that core stable operating dynamics. And that's the rate of return. And in a resilient system, that happens really quickly. In an unresilient system, it takes longer for that to happen. And in a system that's gradually losing resilience, that slows down. So you go from a system that really, really quickly returns from being knocked around to one that takes longer and longer and longer. I mean, you can think of people aging and recovering from an injury. So our bodies are hyper-resilient systems. I was a national team wrestler at some point. I would completely tear my shoulder out of whack and crank my neck. And by the next morning, somehow I was back on the mat banging around with these mean ogres who were trying to beat me up. That is not the case for me anymore. I'm <laughs> well into my 30s. And if I sleep funny, it takes me two weeks to get back to optimal performance. That is a clear example of a gradual loss of resilience. You can't go into an economy or an ecosystem and knock it really hard and see how long it takes to come back because that would be unethical because we don't want to be messing with the economy. And so there are some cool mathematical tools that people have developed that just look at how the system is naturally bouncing around. There's always going to be some noise in a system. You could look at how the system is naturally varying try to use that to infer how quickly it's returning from small little fluctuations. And that's this idea of trying to capture resilience by looking at how quickly the system is able to stabilize itself. And the longer it takes for that ball, going back to your analogy with the ball on the table to come back, I presume it's just getting further and further up the sides of the valley, which just means it's getting closer to the next valley over where it's going to tip into and be quite different. Is that essentially what you're trying to measure in inverted commas. So one reason why that might be happening is that that really deep basin is becoming increasingly shallow. So imagine a ball that's in a really, really deep bowl and you hit it, it's really going to quickly fall back. Now do the same thing on a plate with the same size opening, but it's much more flat. You hit that ball, if it rolls back at all, it's going to take considerably longer than you would see 
in a really, really deep bowl. And as that basin becomes increasingly shallow, that state becomes increasingly untenable. It's unstable. And in some cases, it might become completely flat so that that state doesn't even exist anymore as an option for the system. And that's what you have in some, for instance, the ice cube case. Once you get above a certain temperature, it just isn't an available option for the water to remain solid. So one of the key sort of criticisms if I get into an argument with people about complex systems thinking and the role of tipping points is people go, what's the point, right? So you've got these tipping points they are really hard to predict. You could tip into a different state. Even worse than that, you could tip into several possible different states. So if you're a layperson trying to digest this, what's the point in knowing that well, my state could change at some point. I can't predict exactly when, and I can't predict exactly what other state it could actually drift into. We're not prophets, but we can do a pretty good job, actually, at at least detecting that resilience is dropping, that a change might come. And listen, then you could decide, for instance, to intervene. If you have evidence that a system is losing resilience, you don't need to passively stand by and let that happen. I mean, this is what we do with medicine all the time, right? We know that as people get older, they become increasingly less resilient. They lose resilience to injury, to illness. And so what do we do? We tell people to exercise. We tell people to rest. We do all these things that we know increase the resilience of our bodies, of our immune systems. And so when we can tell that a system is losing resilience, that could be a call to action. There's some evidence that that might be happening to our climate system right now. So you have increasing instability. We have these major weather events that are becoming more common. People have interpreted that as evidence of a climate system that's losing resilience, that might be able to actually switch into a new regime. That's really kind of scary to think that there's some unknown other regime, maybe much hotter, maybe much drier. We don't really know. And so that could be a call to action to try to do everything we can to increase the resilience of the state we're currently in if we want to maintain that state. On the other hand, this opens the possibility of encouraging a switch if we want one to happen. So you can think of cases of creativity as a case where someone is switching from one regime to another, from one state to another. So they're, they're in one state where they understand the world in maybe a really sort of mundane way that everyone else has. And then they could switch into another state where they have a radically reconfigured vision of the world. They're an artist, they're a scientist, they're a biomedical researcher trying to cure cancer. If we're able to tell that someone's convictions, someone's beliefs are losing resilience, and we want them to tip over into some new expanded way of understanding the world, all of a sudden we can decide, okay, now is the moment to give them a bit of a bump, inspire them in some way, make them really exhausted so they further decrease the resilience, intervene in some way in the system to bump it over to something that we hope is going to be better than where it was before. Thank you very much for talking to us about states and tipping points. Thanks, Sean. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Simplifying Complexity, where we look at the key concepts of complexity science with expert minds from across the world. Concepts like emergence, self-organization, adaptation, networks, scaling, tipping points, and much more. 
This podcast was produced by Brady Haywood and Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. I'm Sean Brady, and I'll see you in our next episode.